This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, that you've given us all the opportunity to be here together at GYC. Uh, you've given us the privilege of having your word, Lord, and, and having Jesus as our example. And Lord, we just pray that you'd give us the strength to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we ask for your presence, for your Holy Spirit, for we know that we can do nothing without you. And so we pray for you to be with us here now, that you would guide our words, guide our hearts, in Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're going to focus a little bit more on on the depression and the cutting-edge science that comes with it, so natural methods of overcoming as well. If anyone has an empty seat next to them, can you please raise your hand so those that um, can have an opportunity. We may have to shut the door because um, we're not allowed to have extras. Yeah, okay. All right, let's continue. This is a uh, quote, and I'm not sure where it's from. Heavenly places, sorry. (laughs) It just said HP up there and... Yeah, Heavenly Places, page 126. It's about faith and feelings. It says, The religion of Christ is not a religion of mere emotion. You cannot depend on your feelings for an evidence of acceptance with God. For feelings are variable. You must plant your feet on the promises of God's word and learn to live by faith. As soon as one begins to contemplate his feelings, he is on dangerous ground. If he feels happy and joyous, then he is very confident and has very pleasing emotions. The change will come. There are circumstances that occur which bring depression and sad feelings. Then the mind will naturally begin to doubt whether the Lord is with him or not. Now the feelings must not be made the the test of a spiritual state of the spiritual state, be they good or be they discouraging. The word of God is to be our evidence of our true standing before him. Many are bewildered on this point. Wow. How many times do we actually ourselves feel like this, right? When we're down and discouraged, we are tempted to think, God must be so disappointed in me right now. I must be displeasing him. When something goes wrong, what's our knee-jerk reaction? God, what did I do wrong that this is happening to me? Could you imagine if Paul thought like that all the time? Just think about his life and the trials he went through. If we allowed ourselves to get discouraged all the time, every time something comes along, where would Paul have been? He wouldn't have been walking with Jesus anymore. I can assure you of that. And guess what? When Jesus called him, guess what he told him right away? You will suffer many things for my namesake. Wow. How many of us have been called like that? (laughs) 
it's crazy, isn't it? Most of us just think of the positive aspects of this walk, right? And like, what a joy it is to serve the Lord. And Paul and Jesus is like, Paul, you're going to suffer a lot for my namesake, but I'm calling you anyway. How powerful. But Paul also said something powerful. He said, I forget those things which are behind, and I press forward towards the mark. Amen, right? And you look at Jesus and his example as well of how he looked forward. We're going we're gonna to talk more about that. But it's so true. If we relied on our feelings, where would any of us be if we continued that path, right? Uh, where would any of us be if Jesus relied on his feelings while he was on the cross? If he had given up because of how he felt, you and I wouldn't be here today. But he didn't rely on his feelings. He relied on his relationship with his Father and the Word of God. So it says here, gratitude and well-being uh, associated with life satis- and satisfaction in life. Okay, what, what are the correlations between having gratitude and praise and having a well having well-being and life satisfaction. Several studies have been done on gratitude and life satisfaction. They have repeatedly shown that not only are people who exhibit more gratitude happier, but as an intervention, teaching people to count their blessings can be used to enhance people's well-being. Isn't that powerful? And we're told over and over, count your blessings, right? Count them one by one. And we think, oh, that's really nice. But how many of us do it, right? We are so prone to thinking negative thoughts. And we feel like we're being fake, right? We feel like we're being fake if we count our blessings. If we think positively, we think, oh, that's just, I'm not being myself. I'm not being real. But the thing is, we don't naturally do that because we're sinful, right? And so we have to learn to teach ourselves to think differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. We think, oh, I can't do it. It has to come naturally. It has to just, you know, like I'm working too hard for this. Guess what? We have to work hard. Fight the good fight of faith like Paul did, right? Every day we need to die to self daily and allow Jesus to come in. So seeing that gratitude and praise is good scientifically, right? But look at this here. Nothing tends more to promote health of body and of soul than does a spirit of gratitude and praise. So it's not just for the spiritual aspect, but for your health as well. And it says, uh, it is a positive duty to resist melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings as much a duty as it is to what? pray. It is a duty for us to redirect the thoughts to happier and better thoughts, right? To gratitude and praise. Because if we don't, if we're stuck in our feelings and we're stuck in our rut of like thinking over and over the negative, negative, and seeing the negative in others, right? We get in these ruts. But it is, we're told that it is a positive duty that we have, Not just a duty, right? It's a positive duty. Praise the Lord for positive duties. Here in Ministry of Healing, it says in page 491, we need a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts. The only security for any soul is right thinking. 
As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's what we're told in the Bible. The power of self-restraint strengthens by what? Exercise. That which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy. So what we thought we were being fake, but as we keep trying, it becomes easy and a part of us, right? Until right thoughts and actions become habitual. If we will, we may turn away from all that is cheap, inferior, and rise to a higher standard. We may be respected by men and beloved of God. If we think pure, good thoughts. Isn't that powerful? We have to train ourselves. This is good news. It doesn't come naturally, right? It doesn't come naturally. So don't think when you're struggling that, oh, it's just me. This is who I am. This is how my family was. No, we have to be trained to think different thoughts. It's just a part of life. Proverbs 12:5 says, the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. Right? The thoughts of the righteous are right, and that's why they're called righteous. Here it says in New York Times, behavior, TV time linked to depression and future. The study published in the February issue of the Archives of General Psychiatry found a rising risk of depressive symptoms with increasing hours spent watching television. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever notice if you ever binge on, on TV? Do you ever feel afterwards like, yeah, I just use my time so well. I feel great. It's just like so awesome, you know? Who feels like that after watching hours and hours of TV? No. You're always like, so dejected and like, man, I can't believe I wasted my time like that. And what was I thinking? And I feel like junk now. And you've got hours and hours of like stupid th- stuff in your head. It just doesn't happen, right? And studies are showing that. But we know our own studies, right? We, we know how we feel after binging on these things. This is another interesting one, and it's a little scary. Uh, gray matters. Too much screen time damages the brain. It says reduce cortical thickness. Uh, Hong and colleagues found reduced cortical, that's the outermost part of the brain, thickness in internet-addicted teen boys. And um, they also reduced cortical thickness in the frontal lobe of online gaming addicts. That's late adolescent males and females correlated with impairment to cognitive task. So online gamers, uh, they're finding the frontal lobe is actually like uh, a shrinkage of the frontal lobe. And what is the frontal lobe of the brain? This decision-making, right? And it's the seed of spirituality, your morality, and your willpower. So do you think that this is causing a spiritual decline in our society today? Yes, because it's attacking a physical part of your, uh, uh, the spiritual part of your physical brain, Right? This is how heaven communicates with us. It's through this frontal lobe, right? This is how heaven communicates with us. And so if you wanted to destroy the relationship with heaven, you destroy the frontal lobe. And we're seeing more and more that um, screen time is doing that. It's shrinking our brains, right? And so we need to be careful, and especially the younger you are, the the earlier you get um, started on this stuff, the more shrinkage there is, the more addiction there is. Um, is that for like all kinds of computers and video games, or like say you wanted to go 
Okay, so, yeah, so the question is, is that on all types of uh, computers and things? There's different studies done. This one in particular was online gamers, and that is the worst um, type of, of internet addiction and uh, the damage that they're showing right now is the, the internet. Because, like, let's say television, if you go away from it for a bit, your brain starts to, like, come back to reality, whereas the gamers... It doesn't snap back. You're in that alpha brain activity longer. For it takes, and they never stop, and so they're just in it all the time. So you're never really your your frontal lobe's not operative. But they say that uh, Dr. G. Amen, he says that if you want to be balanced in these things, start being structured about it. So let's say texting. He says let's let's just go to a, a point where you're not constantly checking your phone. Right, because they did a study and they showed that people who are constantly checking their phones and instant messages and all these kinds of things, while they were taking a test, it dropped their IQ lower than someone who is uh, on marijuana. Because you're constantly being distracted. And what the frontal lobe does for you is it helps you to think deeply and intently, right? And so what are these things doing constantly? They're taking away that deep thought. You know, it's just like this quick, quick, cheap, cheap, cheap type of thoughts, right? It's just like, oh, I got to see what, oh, I got to see. And so he says, just have a structured way, even at your emails, all this stuff, have a structured way. Say, okay, I'm going to focus on this one thing right now for like an hour. I'm not going to have anything distract me. I'm going to take the ding off my phone, Right? So I'm not constantly told, ooh, ding, here comes. So take that ding off and say, I'm going to spend this much time studying this, and I'll come back to it. Okay? And so then when you come back to it, you have decided, you've made a choice with your frontal lobe that this is what you're going to do, and you're going to stick with it, and that actually strengthens your mind. So there's got to be a balance of how we do it. But yes, if you're sitting in front, you know, when Chad is working on a documentary, it's so hard on him because he's, like, trying to meet a deadline and he's working hard. And so he is very cautious about how much, like, he doesn't spend any extra screen time when he's working on the documentary. He doesn't do anything else um, outside of, of that. And so then his free time is walking, running, exercising, reading a book, a physical book, He'll, he'll do anything he can to stay away from screen time when he's working a lot on a... So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's keep going because we don't want to keep you guys too long. All right. Um, next one. It says, this is, this is a neat quote that goes along with this. Councils on health. There are many amusements that excite the mind, but depression is sure to follow. Isn't that interesting? And that's what we just saw in those studies, that these exciting things, they, they, they get you, but then afterwards, depression is sure to follow. Other modes of recreation are innocent and healthful, but useful labor that affords physical exercise will often have a more beneficial influence upon the mind, while at the same time, it will strengthen the muscles, improve the circulation, and improve the pow- a power and prove a powerful agent in the recovery of health. Isn't that powerful? But guess what a lot of us are doing today? What kind of jobs do we have today? We sit around. We sit around quite a bit. 
and it's actually affecting us. And because we sit so much, our blood is not being stimulated um, naturally, right? Because God, God put Adam in a garden and wanted him to, to uh, exercise and do all these things because then it would stimulate his blood naturally in a good way. So because we sit around a lot, what happens is we become depressed and down, and so we look for artificial stimulation, whether it be through the things we drink, through the things we eat, through the activities we do, through stimulating amusements, right? Because we want to feel alive somehow. Artificial stimulation. Our best thing is to get out and exercise, and you always feel good. Uh, We were just visiting uh, Chad's family and my family in Michigan, and while there, we, you know, it was cold and, you know, the winter and the snow and everything, but we made a decided effort. We are going to get out in it regardless. And we would go out for walks several times a day. And guess how you feel afterwards? You feel like you conquered something, right? Self and laziness, right? But you also feel invigorated, that winter air, and you're just like, wow, that was awesome. I'm so glad I did it. But those days that you just sit at home and you don't do anything and you decide, oh, it's just too cold, it's just not the same feeling, right? You feel defeated and you understand. So it's so important to get out and get that fresh air. Speaking of, you can improve your mood with negative ions. And negative ions are found outside, in the fresh air. So while we're here at the convention center, I know we're inside all the time, but whenever you have an opportunity, please get outside. Take the longer route if you have to go outside, right? Do whatever you can. Get outside and get that fresh air. It's a funny name. It says negative ions, but they're actually good for you. And uh, (laughs) yeah. So um, we're going to show you a clip from one of our videos, and I think the sound guys hooked it up. Ancient Health. Uh, Eight Secrets to Ancient Health. So here we go. Let's talk a little bit about AIR. AIR being one of the, you know, the acronym in New Start, the A is for AIR. And of course, we're speaking about good fresh air. What's surprising to many people in the urban environments in which uh, the majority of the world's population lives is that many of us are deprived of this very important commodity. There's actually good air and bad air. We know that foul air in the cities will, for example, double heart attack rates, which is a big problem. If you go into a congested city environment, you actually don't, you, you kind of feel a little down. You're a little gloomy. The air is, is just not as fresh as compared to going along a mountain stream with this, 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 this river that's cascading down the mountains and the birds are singing, the sense that you have there, and why is that? In these environments, there are negatively charged air ions. And we can go out on the trails and, and just breathe in just good air, good quality air. The air around waterfalls, lakes, oceans, pine trees, cedar trees, mountains, that negatively charged air is good for you. It's actually positive for you. Have you ever noticed how good you feel after a thunderstorm or after being by the ocean surf? The reason, again, is that these environments create and have the highest concentration of negative ions available. These negatively charged ions have a mood-elevating effect. Out there, the light rain, when the rain comes down, the negative ions go up. All of that fresh air, anytime you can get out of the fresh air, 
you're gonna be better for it mentally and physically. The brain needs oxygen. The nerve cells need oxygen to function adequately. And when you're not sitting up straight, when, when you're not breathing deeply, then your tissues are going to be lacking oxygen and you're going to start feeling tired and fatigued. When we have this uh, you know, oxygenation that's increased, it really does improve our mental ability and you just feel much better. I mean, you feel like, man, my mind is clear. And so it's very important that we get that fresh air as we uh, want to improve our mental health and our cognitive performance. So getting enough fresh air is actually valuable and the quality of air is also very important. So my prescription for health would include getting out into nature. Get out after a thunderstorm and walk. Go by the ocean surf. Go to an area that has up in the mountains with lots of trees. Get the best out of the time that you exercise. The thing is you can combine these things. You know, if you're drinking water, you're out in the sunshine, and you're exercising out in nature and you're getting fresh air, you didn't have to think, well, I just got four of the eight natural laws and I thought I was just walking out in nature. The battery's about to die on the computer. So if you can plug it in. All right. Um, fascinating. Very fascinating. Now, thinking about this, <clears throat> if fresh air is so good for us, why didn't God tell us? <laughs> he did, right? Check this out. Healthful Living, page 177. Air is the free blessing of heaven calculated to what? Electrify the whole system. What did we just find? That air that is negatively charged is positive for us. Isn't that powerful? We were told this over 100 years ago, very powerful and healthful living. Mental depression from poorly ventilated rooms. The effects produced by living in closed, ill-ventilated rooms are these. The system becomes weak and unhealthy. The circulation is depressed. The blood moves sluggishly through the system because it is not purified and vitalized by the pure, invigorating air of heaven. The mind becomes depressed and gloomy while the whole system is enervated and fevers and acute diseases are liable to be generated. So we want to get out in the fresh air whenever we can. Um, so one of the things that's beneficial for us are negative ions, getting out in the fresh air whenever you can. Talking about depression, there's seasonal depression. We talked about that in the last message on the gut-brain connection. 6% of people suffer with seasonal depression every, every year. And, uh, you know, our seasonal affective disorder is what SAD stands for. The fall and the winter months come along, people end up getting this. They become sluggish, they come, become depressed, they gain weight, and so forth. Well, one of the things they found is that right now the standard treatment for this depression is light therapy. And you can buy these. Now, if you live in Arizona, you could just go outside. But if you live in Michigan or some of the northern states, Oregon and Washington and, you know, where have you, you, you may have to buy one of these light boxes. And you can buy them on Amazon. And they have to be 10,000 lux, L-U-X. That's the, the light power. And, and you want a full-spectrum light, possibly, or one of the blue lights. And they actually, they're the standard therapy for reversing seasonal depression. You can just sit and read your Bible in the morning. And you put the light out. You don't look at the light. You put it off to the side and let it hit your eyes from an angle and it helps to reverse seasonal depression. So getting out natural light's the best, but when you're in a situation where you just can't get the natural light, having one of these light boxes for a half an hour uh, in the morning or sometime during the day, they call them energy lights because people feel just better after using them. They're not terribly expensive. But once again, did God tell us about the benefits of light? Yes, he did. Ecclesiastes 11:7 says, truly the light is sweet 
and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the what? Sun. We have the foundations in God's word. So number two is light therapy. Now the next one we looked at in our last message, but I know that several of you were not here for the last message. Just a quick review. We saw that depending on how many pieces of fruits or vegetables you eat in a day will make you either happier or you know, less happy today and tomorrow. This is a study from the British Journal of, of Health Psychology that says many apples a day keep the blues away. Many apples a day keep the blues away. And the next one I'm going to show you here is this is from the American Journal of Public Health. This is how many pieces of fruit or vegetable you eat in a day and how happy you are. They found if you eat zero, you're going to be the least happy person today that you could be. And then statistically anyway. And then if you eat one, you become a little bit happier. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you get to choose to be significantly happier if you eat eight pieces of fruit or vegetable. Isn't that good news? And it foretells how happy you'll be tomorrow. So you get to choose how happy you're going to be tomorrow when you get to lunch, right? And um, so very fascinating here. Now, one of the things, we're going to show you a video later on about this, not in this message, I don't think, but they did a study looking at the restriction of meat, chicken, and fish and the effect on, ment on your mental state, on how happy you are. The study divided meat eaters into three groups. You had a control group, and then you had, they, and they continued on the omnivorous diet, so they're eating, you know, different animal foods and plant foods. And then there was a fish-eating group that was eating fish, and so they're getting more EPA and DHA, and so many people think, well, they'd probably become happier. Then there was a third group that would avoid all fish, chicken, and meat, lowering their EPA, DHA, and their arachidonic intake. And um, so many people think, oh, man, if you're not getting those good things from the fish, maybe you'd be less happy. What is the result of this study? Let's find out. Well, they found that mood scores remained the same for the omnivores and the fish eaters, meaning there was no change by switching to a fish diet instead of a mental state in this. But the mood scores were significantly increased in depression and anxiety stress scale, the DASS score. So what they found is that it lowered levels of depression. You can lower your level of depression in two weeks by 50% just by taking meat and fish out of your diet. Isn't that amazing? And one of the things they think is because arachidonic acid, in last message we talked about inflammation, and inflammation is often a marker of depression in the body. And so arachidonic acid is found highly in things like chicken. Chicken has just, it's one of the top sources of arachidonic acid. So getting rid of chicken and eggs and these kind of things, getting rid of the fish can lower levels of depression. Now, it's interesting here, notice what it says here. You know, and once again, I, you just think about this. It, it's so simple. Maybe, what if God would have just told us? <laughs> he told us, right? This is from 8th Manuscript Releases, page 372. Healthy, growing youth need a nourishing diet, especially when dispensing with meat, which has an immediate stimulating influence to be followed by depression. Meat eating cannot be tolerated in the schools. So she's talking about, you know, at, a, at an Adventist school or whatever. And so, you know, very, very interesting that we were told beforehand that it had this depressive effect, but yet people feel good afterward, right afterward, so they think it's beneficial, but then in the long run, it has a negative inflammatory effect on the human body. So our, this is what we've just seen. We, we just looked at powerful points on the gut-brain connection in the last one, but eating... Um, 
So getting to a plant-based diet, Dr. Beeshold showed us, lowers depression by 50% in two weeks. And so how much fruit, if you begin to eat seven uh, pieces of fruit a day or, or eight vegetables, it's kind of or, I don't think it's and or, I think for most people they'd find it hard to have that many, you know, like 15 pieces of fruit or vegetable in a day. But you eat, the more you eat, the happier you will be, especially if you get rid of the inflammatory foods like the animal products. So this is fascinating. Moving on to our next point here, this is in a study that is called the SMILE study, which stands for the Stanford Medical Intervention and Long-Term Exercise Trial, the study here. It was a 16-week trial with 156 patients put into three different groups. One of the groups was the Zoloft group. That's a depression medication. Then there was an exercise group, and the third group was exercise and Zoloft. Now, if you were just to look at this, you'd probably think, well, probably the third one would do the best because they're putting two interventions into people's lives. What was the result? Let's find out. So what did they do? Well, the exercise group was to exercise for 30 minutes to 70 to 85% of their target heart rate. What is that? Google it. Figure it out for yourself. I can figure out for you what your target heart rate is based upon your age. They got up to 70 to 85% of their, I don't have time to go into that. We got so much to go into. And they would do this three times a week. So exercising for 30 minutes, three times a week, cardio exercise. What was the result? Well, they all had a drop in depression, all three groups. Nearly half of each group was depression-free by the end. An additional 13% had last symptoms, but were not totally depression-free. Uh, actually, I should have gone forward there, sorry. And six months later, the exercise group was doing the what? Best. Not the exercise and Zoloft group. Just exercising is more beneficial than taking Zoloft. 55% of the mixed group, those who did the Zoloft and the exercise, was depressed six months later. 52% of the medication group was depressed six months later, but only 30% of the only exercising group. So do you realize natural methods are almost always, in almost every case, the best route to go in the long run for your health? Isn't that powerful? So look, I mean, the mixed group did the worst in the long run. It actually is more detrimental to the person to do that, strangely enough, to mix exercise and the drug medication. I mean, who would have ever guessed that? Nobody would have guessed that. At least, I shouldn't say nobody, but most of us would not have. So, you know, maybe God could have told us about the benefits of exercise. He did, right? So physical exercise is a precious blessing for both mental and physical ailments. Exercise with cheerfulness would in many cases prove a most effective restorer to the complaining invalid. God gave us all this information beforehand. So the next point we have is that exercise is beneficial for us. Avoiding high amounts of sugar is another thing that is beneficial. One of the things that... Uh, They've simply found that people who eat more sugar have more mental disorders like depression and schizophrenia. Uh, it's been discovered that people who ate more sugar were more depressed, but the question remained, was it the depression that caused people to eat or, the, or was it the more sugar, more sugar that they were eating caused them to be depressed? Uh, so that's the question. So a study from the University College London looking at more than 8,000 adults followed them from the 1980s discovered that men who ate the most sugar had a 23% higher, higher, likely, higher likelihood of becoming depressed within the next five years. So it actually can be a causative factor in your depression. It's not just because you're depressed you eat more sugar. It actually can be that if you eat more sugar, you're more likely to become depressed. Does that make sense? So once again, what is sugar? It's a refined 
food. And we saw in our last message that refining food is debilitating largely to the system. So getting back to a whole food plant-based diet, we talked about the fact that Oreos are vegan, right? You know, there's several kind of junk foods that are vegan, you know, soda, you know, Mountain Dew is vegan. Whiskey is vegan, right? But these are refined junk foods that are actually detrimental to your mental health. So once again, did God give us any light that sugar was not beneficial for us? Yes, he did. Sugar is not good for the stomach. It causes fermentation and, the, and it, this clouds the what? Brain and brings peevishness into the disposition. Do you see, what if we as Seventh-day Adventists, instead of trying to come up with new studies, we just did studies on stuff we were already told the scientific answer to. We would be the most cutting edge people on the planet because everything we were told comes true. Everything. We would be like, people would be like, how do you people know this stuff? And we're like, you know, I have this app. It's like EG White Writings, you know. It tells me everything that science ever told me, right? And it told me 120 some years ago or 30 or 40 or whatever, you know. And so, yeah. So let's go forward. So avoiding sugar is, you know, the next one. But then avoiding alcohol or any mind-altering drugs. This kind of, to us today, this goes without saying. I mean, you, you recognize this is negative to your, uh, you know, me mental state. So alcohol, what's interesting is we see that alcohol and brain shrinkage. Study in the British Medical Journal. A 30-year study was done on 550 men and women looking at alcohol consumption and its effect on the brain. They wanted to know if alcohol in any amount was beneficial, maybe, maybe a little would be good for you, right? Or if it was detrimental. MRI scans revealed that even moderate drinkers, you know, like the, you know, the ones who, they're not drunks, they're not alcoholics, they just, you know, having, you know, they're just having moderate drinks. Uh, if it, the MRI scans revealed that even moderate drinking causes shrinkage in the right hippocampus, which is a, a portion of the memory, the, the memory, one of the memory portions of the brain. So, uh, they discovered the more you drink, the more you shrink. And so, you know, a little bit shrinks it a little more, shrinks it more. So um, do you want to shrink it a little or a lot? Probably none, right? And so once again, did God give us insight into this also? What do we read? We read here, it says, For a time he may be elated by the stimulus of alcohol. But the elation is followed by a corresponding depression, by a sluggish movements of the brain. His years of taxing study are lost. What? His study is lost? That means it impacted his hippocampus. It impacted his memory. Interesting. We would have known that, right? It says, um, for he has destroyed himself. He's destroying his own body, right? By indulgence, he has destroyed the harmonious action of the different parts of the being. He has misused his physical and mental powers, and the temple of the body is in ruins. I was a heavy drinker. I just I drank myself to sleep at night when I was younger. And I'm so glad that God finally gave me victory when I learned about the health message and all these wonderful things. Some people look at it as a negative. It's been one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. Like I, I shared with the last group that I had never had a salad by the time I was in college in my entire life. Never had lettuce once in my life up to that point. But I feel so much better today than I did back then. That I'm so happy, God. To me, this isn't legalism because you don't get to go to heaven because of what you eat or what you don't eat, right? But it can make your pathway to heaven much easier and much happier, right? And make it easier to overcome temptation all the way there. So very powerful. So we want to avoid alcohol and mind-altering drugs. Another thing that's beneficial is sleeping early, going to sleep early. 
helps and it keeps up. One of the things is that they find is that early to bed, especially for someone who struggles with depression, it makes a very serious impact. So going to bed early is something that is very, very beneficial. You know, close to nine o'clock can be the best for someone who struggles with depression. And you just find that you feel so much better. Uh, something here that's, you know, from a study that was done, a studies um, starting with over 4,000 people, ranging in age from 11 to 17, uh, concluding a year later, only 3,000 people they could study at the end. So 1,000 of them, for whatever reason, couldn't make it part of the end. So it was a 3,000-person study, ultimately, of the same young people revealed that those who slept less than or equal to six hours had a higher chances of either having or acquiring depression. So if, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, we, we travel around, we speak different places to, you know, medical students and these, these kind of things. And one of the things that I find is very common for, especially during some of the years of medical school, is many medical students become depressed because they get very, very, very little sleep. I mean, the whole system is just totally out of whack. I mean, uh, you know, if, if anybody doesn't see that then you just have a different opinion than me. But meaning just the fact that you make people depressed and, and, you know, it lowers their immune system while they're working with sick people, obviously something's broken here, right? Our, our doctors should be happy and healthy and, and, you know, feeling good as they're going through. God didn't mean for it to be this way, but it is the way it is today. Um, it is, you know, but, you know, obviously it's not, the whole world isn't designed the way God, it was designed by God, but we've uh, broken a few things. So did God also have insight into these things? And if so, why didn't he tell us? Well, guess what? He did. So we see here in the seventh testimony, 247, proper periods of sleep and rest and an abundance of physical exercise are essential to health of body and mind. To rob nature of her hours for rest and recuperation by allowing one man to do the work of four or, or of three people or even two will result in irreparable loss. Meaning there's a loss that takes place to your health as a result of this. It can cause negative effects to the brain. It says here, it says, you should labor with care and observe periods of rest. By doing so, you will attain your physical and mental vigor and render your body much more efficient. Brother F, whoever that was, you are a nervous man and move much from impulse. Mental depression influences your labor very much. You're, and as I've talked with medical students, that's what I found, that many, many of them are, suffer with depression during those years of medical school or when they're especially in the residency, right? Many of them struggle with that because they just can't get a good night's sleep. And so, you know, thinking about these things, as we look at these and we review some of these things that, uh, either, that either benefit or could negatively impact our mental state, God has given us all of these things. He gave us all of these things before science showed them to us. And one of the things we're told in, by this same author is that we should be the happiest people in the world. We should be the happiest people in the world. Meaning God didn't give us prophecy to make us sad and unhappy people. Right? You know, you talk about plant-based diet. And there's this, there's this like, the only word that's coming to mind, there's like a meme. And it's not a meme. But there's like this, this idea in society that you have these angry vegans. <laughs> right? 
You know, just like, you know, I'm going to eat my carrot and, you know, my spinach or whatever. And I'm, even if it kills me, I'm going to be angry for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to do that or whatever. But statistically, the opposite is actually true. That the people who turn to a plant-based diet are actually statistically happier. Isn't that fascinating? That meaning God didn't give these things to us to keep us from happiness. It's interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 24, it says this. It says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So Deuteronomy 6.24 tells us that God commanded us to do different things. So God tells us to do this, 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 and not to do this, this, and this, right? And it says all his commandments are for our good that he might preserve us alive. There's a longevity benefit to the commandments of God. One of the things that we also find is that people who have a spiritual relationship with God also end up living longer, they're happier people, right? Meaning God doesn't want us to live in an unhealthy or an unhappy state all the time. And he wants to give us victory. The last message I talked about how God gave me victory over depression through the, through the gut-brain connection. Through going off 10 years of uh, off and on with depression and the last two years of it uh, were continual depression. And God gave these principles that I found, I found a, just a strange, almost fanatical sounding quote in the spirit of prophecy. But when I implemented it, it reversed my depression that I had struggled with for 10 years. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, and so I'm so happy that we've been given. I mean, let, just as a quick review. Now, here's the thing. I was implementing virtually everything on this, except for the one that I shared in the last meeting, but uh, I, was, I was a vegan. I was doing all this, but I, I, would, I would get out and get a lot of exercise because I was a runner, a biker, a, go hiking or whatever, doing all these things. Uh, light therapy, I even tried that, but you know, it worked, it, but it wasn't enough for me. But here's the thing, I, and I shared. I was doing all these things. Most people don't. Most people don't. So most people, if you just implemented whatever's here, your depression will go away. Most people, if they just exercise, your depression will go away. The 80%, you know, or 70% of you, the study showed, right? 70% of people will reverse it just by exercise. But what happens when you implement all of these things here? You get, you get an even higher benefit. And I was seeking God with all my heart during this time period. And... You know, basically, the point is, is that there's such a blessing in these things, but it's a mixture of the physical and the spiritual. Because we are physically, we're physical and spiritual beings. God has given us all of this to us. And as we implement it all, it brings about a synergy, meaning, meaning that the, the, all of the things put together do even more than if you just seemingly added them up to together. They do something that you can't even comprehend. They do something very powerful within the human body. So you may think, ah, I'll, I'll go outside, I'll get some fresh air, and maybe I'll try the light therapy, and you know, yeah, I'll try this one or that or whatever. But, you, but by implementing all of these things, you, may, you reap the best benefit and the most likelihood of getting rid of your depression. And so we have the opportunity to implement, to test some of these things. I mean, some of the little things, some of the funny studies that they've, they've tried that actually benefit. Like they did one study where they had people sniff saffron. You know what saffron is? It's like a super expensive uh, spice. And they had people sniff saffron. And, but, but the thing is, they needed to do, to do it under control. And so if you could smell it, you might be like, oh, that's saffron. Saffron. But well, probably most of you don't know what some saffron smells like anyway. But um, so what they did is they made the scent so low that nobody could smell it. 
and they had a control group, and then they had the group, and it was like super, you know, diluted uh, in like some fluid, like water or something. It was very, very low. You couldn't even tell the difference. But they actually noticed that, that people who smelled the saffron versus the, you know, maybe just the water or whatever the solution they put it in, that people who sniffed the saffron, it actually made them happier than the ones who didn't, you know? And saffron comes from a flower. Maybe we should stop and smell the roses, right? Like maybe these simple things that humans have done, like God actually made it that we, we get some kind of joy and maybe it's actually giving some of the blessings that, we, that we're looking for. And we, don't, we think like, ah, who cares, you know? But simple things can make a bigger impact in your life than maybe you've ever realized. And so we're going to look at something in the next message. We're just about done. I'm going to read to you a quote. But in the next message that we look at in the afternoon, which is on, it's on, uh, how do we say it? It's on health science, happiness, and nature. Things in nature that bring happiness to people. Things that will blow your mind. Meaning, in the sense that, what I should say is this. They may not blow your mind, but you'll realize we were told that all of our health institutes were to be in the country, right? And guess what science is showing? The benefits of what happens when people actually do this, it actually helps their health beyond what they could ever find in the city. And so, and also we're going to talk about the mental state. We're going to talk about how the country can actually change your theology. Living in the city or living in the country can change your theology. So we're going to look at the science of all these things, how your life can be changed by the stuff that we just think, once again, I can pick and choose, but what could it do to your children? How much more likely could it be that they would be in the kingdom as a result? We're going to look at some powerful stuff that you may never have thought about and could bring a happiness to your life that may be you've never fully experienced. So we'll share that in the next message, but I want to share with you something in closing in this message. Did Jesus ever have depression? Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's from a biblical standpoint, but I'm going to read you a quotation here. Notice this. This is from the same author we've been reading from over and over here. Turning away... Here Jesus is getting to go, getting ready to go to the cross. He's going through the Gethsemane experience. And what does it say? Turning away, Jesus sought again his retreat and fell prostrate, overcome by the horror of a great darkness. The humanity of the Son of God trembled in that trying hour. He prayed, not now for his disciples, that their faith might not fail but for his own tempted, agonizing, agonized soul. The awful moment had come. That moment which was to decide the destiny of the world. The fate of humanity trembled in the balance. Christ might even now refuse to drink the cup appointed to guilty man. It was not yet too late. He might wipe the bloody sweat from his brow and leave man to perish in his iniquity. He might say, let the transgressor receive the penalty of his sin and I will go back to my father. Will the son of God drink the bitter cup of humiliation and agony? Will the innocent suffer the consequences of the curse of sin to save the guilty? The words fall tremblingly from the pale lips of Jesus. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. Angels beheld the Savior's agony. 
they saw their Lord enclosed by legions of satanic forces. His nature weighed down with a shuddering, mysterious dread. There was, no sil- there was silence in heaven. No harp was touched. Could mortals have viewed the amazement of the angelic host? As in silent grief, they watched the Father separating his beams of light, love, and glory from his beloved Son. They would better understand how offensive in his sight is sin. The world's unfallen and the heavenly angels had watched with intense interest as the conflict drew to its close. She goes on to say, Christ's agony did not cease, but his depression and discouragement, what? Left him. Did Jesus go through depression? He went through a depression unlike anything we can even imagine. But he went forward. The storm had in no wise abated, but he who was its object was strengthened to meet its fury. And he came forth calm and serene. A heavenly peace rested upon his blood-stained face. He had borne that which no human being could ever bear, for he had tasted the sufferings of death for every man. You know, I was thinking about this, what Jesus went through. Did Jesus know what it's like to feel lost? Jesus, how do, how do we know from the Bible that he knew what it was like to be lost, or feel like it was what it was like to be lost? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you felt forsaken of God, would you feel lost? Was Jesus lost? But he felt like he was lost. Your feeling is no standard of truth. Do you understand? You could feel absolutely lost and still being in a saving relationship with Jesus. Though God wants to bring us forth from depression, I know what it's like for struggling with 10 years. But I tell you, I am so glad that I went through that experience. Because number one, I never would have been willing to live the lifestyle I now live. I was so rebellious. I was doing ministry and I was even eating a plant-based diet, but, but I wouldn't want to change my life to live the lifestyle that I now live because I, I would just say, no way, I don't want to do that. But as I did, it gave me victory. It gave me victory over depression. It gave me victory over temptation that I struggled with in so many ways. But if I had not gone through those 10 years of sorrow and depression and, and struggling, I wouldn't have the experience that I now have. And I don't believe just because I was in the midst of the depression feeling absolutely lost, feeling like every morning, as I said in the first message, I'd wake up every morning and the very first thought in my mind was just a a deep, dark guilt for sin. And then trying to make it right constantly over and over and over and over and over, but suffering with the guilt and depression. I was seeking the Lord. I was asking for forgiveness. I was trying to make the sins of my past right and yet still felt guilty. But even in the very, I remember the very darkest day of it all. Strangely enough, I was in California in the bright, sunny weather at that point. In the bright, sunny weather, I'm doing ministry, doing the work for God. At the very darkest point of it all, 
the thought came to my mind, what if you have to live with this for the rest of your life? And you know what? The very next thought came to my mind was, where would I go? He has the words of life. He has the answer. Even if I have to live with this for the rest of my life, I accept it. I'll just go forward. I'll just go forward because what, there's no, I know there's no, that Jesus is really the only true option. And so I went forward anyway. And then as I shared in the last message, I saw that blessed quotation from the spirit of prophecy that showed me that there was an answer. I tested it. I tried it. And it changed my life in two weeks. Though I had struggled with years of depression, in two weeks it began to go away. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, to, to be able to have a, a clear mind where it's not constantly going to sin and temptation and anger and depression and, and all of these things, but I wouldn't have tried it. I wouldn't have tried it if I wouldn't have gone through the sorrows. And Ellen White tells that beautiful story. Maybe you've heard it about the, the bird in the cage. Have you ever heard that one? She talks about this bird. I don't know, like a canary or something. And, and this bird is in a cage and as long as you leave a, like a cover off the cage, you know, it can learn a, a little, little song here, a little, you know, tweet or a twerk. T- I don't know, it's probably not a word, but, you know, uh, Twitter. There you go, Twitter there, you know. And, and so the bird, it, it can learn a few songs. But when you cover that cage, right, she tells the story, you cover that cage and in the darkness, as you whistle to that bird and you create a tune, in the darkness, that bird can sing a song that it never could have learned while in the light. But then once you re- remove the, the blanket from that cage, it can sing that song ever in the light. Isn't that good news? And the reality is, is when you follow God's principles, when you seek him, you may still at times struggle with depression. By and large, it will make things better. It gets rid of most of your inflammation and can help your joints and can help out with reversing gallstones and all of these different things, just God's principles. But even if you, like Jesus, suffer with depression at a time, your depression is no standard of whether you are saved or lost. God can give us, we're told, LNY tells us, many people think of the one quotation where Ellen White says, you know, no sanctified tongue will be found saying, I am saved. So then many people have come to the conclusion you can never know that you're in a saving relationship with Christ. That's because they only read that quote and they don't read all the other quotes. Where she says things like, you can know today if you are in a saving relationship with God going to heaven or not. You could know. She says, you can know that by the evidence of God's word. She tells us very clearly we can have an experience where we know God with all of our heart. But here's the thing, even in the midst of, even if you're at a point where you're depressed and you, you don't feel that, and you're trying to make your heart right with God, but you feel that you're, you're not, your feeling is not a standard. Now, we should make our hearts right with God, no question. We need to. That's a necessity. Giving our lives to God, uh, asking for forgiveness of sins. We may need to make sins right and all of these things, but, but the reality is, is we do, not, we do not make our feelings a standard for salvation. Because feelings are changeable. And the devil himself may be able to put certain feelings upon you, right? But that does not give the standard. So, friends, I would challenge you. God gave us all of these things. These are just some of them. There's more that we could go into, but these are, these are what we have time for today. But God will be with you. God loves you. I mean, the Bible says that God has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, loving kindness has he drawn you in Jeremiah, right? 
He's loved you with an everlasting love. He cares for you. He wants you to be saved. When the devil comes through and says, no, you're too great of a sinner. Listen, Jesus is too great of a savior. He can help you overcome anything and you can trust. But even when you can't feel it, I know from personal experience, even when you, when you can't feel that love, just go forward. Jesus went forward even when he couldn't feel that there was, I mean, we're told Jesus could not see through the portals of the tomb. Meaning he couldn't see that he would ever have eternal life. And even in the midst of your darkness, if you have the same experience, you don't, don't give up. Jesus still loves you. Even if you at the moment don't feel it. He loves you. Go forward. Go forward. Friends, I want to see each and every one of you in the kingdom. And I want you to be the happiest people in the world also. I would love that, that we could become happier and happier because we become more in line with God's word. We find the blessings of all he wants to bestow upon us. I'll leave the, uh, you know, seven or 10 or eight, whatever things we have just, just there. But we're going to close. Do you have something to say? What's that? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, think about, think about what does prophecy say at the end of time? We have three minutes, two minutes. Prophecy says at the end of time that what are we going to go through? The time of trouble. And part of the time of trouble is this sense of, almost a sense of lostness, if you can say that, right? But friends, you may go through trials now, but don't give up now. Just continue to go forward. We should be making our hearts right with God, absolutely. But even in the midst of the darkness, that doesn't mean that you, you just accept, oh, it's dark and I'm not going to do anything to try to fix it. Do everything you can. Try to make your heart right with the Lord. But even, even if you've done that, if you've sought to do that and you still feel terrible, in the end of time, there's going to be an experience similar to that. And so some of us who've gone through this already, it's part of that preparation probably, right? And uh, the reality is, at the end of time, most of us will probably go through something similar to that. So find strength from Jesus. Go forward. Do not give up. Our next message is just as a review before we pray. The next one is on the science of nature and making us happier and healthier. Powerful stuff. We're going to be doing a whole series on that. This is a preliminary one message on that, uh, meaning my wife and I are you know, going to be producing a series on, on science and nature and health and happiness and how your life can be changed by it. And then we're also going to talk about the last message. We're going to talk about part of the gut-brain connection, one of the most powerful things that most of you have never seen. That's the fifth message on, uh, what's it called? It's called, the, the last one is called, a vision, basically a, what could be? A vision of what could be. A vision of what could be. Something along those lines. And in that message, we're going to talk about something with the gut-brain connection on how we were changing the world. We were doing something to change the world, and it was literally, it was doing one of the most amazing things, and it got cut off like in the 80s or 90s. And we're going to see what could happen, how it could change your life, and how it was changing prisons, prisons as a result of it. One of the most powerful things you've ever heard, we're going to see in the last message. So, and then we're going to talk about the reversing of disease and how God showed us how to do this. Because many of us are going to die of diseases that we don't have to die from. And, we, and, and God told us a over 100 years ago exactly what to do so that we could just never have these hap things happen. And that's, that will be our, um, not the next message, but the one after that. So before we close, let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that our perfect example, Jesus, knows what it's like to go through depression. 
He knew what it was like to feel absolutely lost. But Father, I pray like him as he went forward with no hope of eternal life. He went forward faithfully with no hope of eternal life. Father, I pray that we would have the same mindset that even if we felt like, you know what, I could be lost, that we would follow you anyway. That we would walk forward in the darkness and that we would learn a song that we can ever sing in the light. I thank you that you love each and one of these people here so much that even someone who's struggling with depression right now, that though they may feel weak, though they may feel like giving up, someone may even feel like committing suicide. May you right now fill their heart with a sense that you love them. Not because they feel it, but because they know you promised that you loved even them with an everlasting love. Father, I pray that you would draw each one of us nearer to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.